I'm Stephen Colon. work uh, at Microsoft with one of my counterparts here, uh, Andrew Ventresca. Andrew, you want to say hey to everybody? Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining uh, Andrew Ventresca. work with uh, Stephen here as an Azure specialist at Microsoft with focus on Department of Navy. And we're just really excited for the turnout we're getting today and, and our topic. Appreciate Kerasoft, as always, supporting us here. And John, we're super excited to have you speaking today. So uh, with any further ado, I'll just uh, I'll cut it there. Back to you, okay. Stephen. Fantastic. Well, listen, we have a couple links uh, in the chat, and uh, and I think it's important um, to kind of level set expectations with folks here. So uh, when we created uh, speed dating, what we want to do is we want to do a couple things. We want to create more informal opportunities for folks out in the marketplace, whether they're they work in the dib, uh, they're they're soldiers. Uh, myself, I'm a Marine, once Marine, always Marine, right? So uh, I'll speak slow, try, uh, hide your crayons, don't be showing them coming off screen or coming on, uh, showing your video and, and flashing them to me. I'll start salivating and teasing. Uh, but Andrew, uh, you know, we spent some time uh, in the Navy as well. So a lot of us are veterans. It's near and dear to our heart here on the Microsoft team, especially Microsoft Federal, because of the service that we put forth and the service that we, that we took. Uh, there's a lot of folks who are patriots who care very deeply about this mission. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that the things uh, that we bring to the market are able to work and able to work uh, in a way that that sets us apart from our competitors, not just from our competitors. I'm talking about uh, commercially. I'm talking about here in the U.S. and how, how us as service members, what we can do to differentiate ourselves uh, from some of our adversities and then work to create some innovative solutions. So the intent behind today is we want to provide an opportunity to understand where you are where you could go utilizing some tools like this. And if you have any additional questions or if you if you have some some know-how or you want some guidance on know-how, who you need to get in touch with in order to make that happen. So uh, there's gonna be some learn resources that we're gonna share uh, towards the tail end. John obviously is gonna, he's gonna do a fantastic job today, no pressure, telling you a little bit more about some of our technology. Um, and obviously if you have any questions, go ahead and go to the chat. There's a link there. Uh, where you can actually click on the forms link and write a question. If you didn't submit them beforehand, you can do it during the presentation. Uh, like Hilo referenced, there's going to be some there's going to be some CPU credit as well, which is pretty cool. Uh, like last month, we did a, an Azure OpenAI session. This month is actually a little bit of a build on on top of that, training your own large language model. So for those of you who are anxious to get started and want this guy to shut up, no problem. It'll happen in just a second. I'll get it over to John. Let's let's show this one slide. Can you share the slide that has the entire team of everybody here on the data and AI side? There everybody see my screen? There you go. Perfect. And we'll share each one of these emails, but some of the folks who you're seeing actually on this slide are in the audience. So if you just want to go directly to the chat and ask your question, one of those folks actually may end up uh, answering them. So, uh, you know, for today's session, we don't necessarily need to only cover the topic of uh, machine learning ops, uh, training your own large language model using Azure machine learning. There could be previous topics that we've had before that we'll share in some follow-on links, uh, and then obviously some upcoming sessions that we have uh, here in the coming months. So uh, with that, John, wanted you to know that we are going to be uh, kicking it over to you here in just a second. So you're welcome to go and grab the screen. Uh, without further ado, one of the smartest men alive and probably the best person to, to present this particular topic. Uh, he doesn't like it when I say smartest man alive, but it's the truth. So, John, over to you, buddy. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, my name is John Dodson. I'm a technical specialist here with Microsoft Federal. My focus is uh, specifically on designing Azure AI workloads, right? So end-to-end -end machine learning workloads. 
um, cognitive services based systems, um, and I guess data science more broadly. Um, I support all across the DoD and super excited to be here to talk about, I think, some pretty cool subject matter. In particular, we're going to talk about uh, MLOps and generative AI, uh, specifically using um, Azure Native cloud services to pull in open source large language models and design end-to-end -end workflows. So the way I'm going to do this, I'm going to walk through some slides, kind of set the stage a bit. We'll talk about Azure Machine Learning and the features that it provides. Um, and then I'd like to spend a good deal of time actually hopping into a workspace and showing you what a real world pipeline might look like for large language models. Um, in particular, we're going to look at how to pull in and fine tune and evaluate um, Llama 2, which is a uh, open source LLM uh, by Meta um, available freely via Azure Machine Learning. So we'll kind of incorporate that into a workflow using AML. Without further ado, we'll kind of jump right in. Those of you who were in the last session might remember a slide very similar to okay. this one. When we think about uh, the Azure AI stack, right, we kind of think about it as tiers. Okay. So we have the business users here, we have the developer tier, um, where, for example, at the foundational level, we have our Azure flagship machine learning service called Azure Machine Learning. Uh, we have cognitive services, which are those pre-built out-of-the-box models that are production ready for users now. And from there, it gets a bit you know, higher level. So all the way up to things like uh, Power Platform. The point being is that effectively all of these services here are powered by AI. Um, the difference here, of course, is that certain services um, kind of abstract away the modeling complexities, right? So for example, if a user wanted to pull in a speech model, that is certainly doable, but it kind of uh, gives users a limited access to the actual architecture, right? So users have a limited ability to incorporate these kind of pre-canned models into their own custom workflows, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Because a lot of these Azure cognitive services are prod ready out of the box. They perform, you know, on par with the current st state of the art. But in terms of the uh, option to customize, um, it's quite limited. The solution to this, of course, is a more, I guess, open platform. And that's what Azure Machine Learning intends to provide for users. So users who, for example, want to pull in models to do highly customized things or build custom workflows, um, that's what Azure Machine Learning is intended to help facilitate. With that, uh, kind of jumping into what AML provides, uh, I guess, prior to that. So the OpenAI service is, of course, one of our out-of-the-box cognitive services, uh, but even still, um, it provides, I guess, a li limited access to kind of use the underlying model infrastructure, right? So even though this is, of course, the flagship prod-ready service for large language models on Azure, um, it does, in fact, obfuscate away some of the underlying complexity to, to the users. So kind of moving into what Azure Machine Learning provides as a toolkit to help, I guess, facilitates a open design. Um, it actually provides kind of the end-to-end -end stack, right? So from pulling in the domain-specific models that have been, I guess, pre-trained on large corporate data uh, to kind of familiar tools, um, all the way down to the underlying infrastructure. Um, the point being is that uh, machine learning on Azure uh, using these services um, is intended to help, kind of help data scientists 
design their own individualized workflows using tools that are familiar to them. So for example, Azure Machine Learning, our, our platform on Azure, does not uh, impose any restrictions on things like the environments that developers use. So if a, a dev team wants to use VS Code, fantastic, more power to them. If they want to use things like um, Vim on the command line, uh, that, that's fine too. Um, if they want to use uh, effectively any environment to do their dev, um, Azure Machine Learning helps, I guess, facilitate that for them. And the reason being is that uh, Azure Machine Learning is quite literally just a series of, of tools. So we can think of it as a, uh, a toolbox for users to uh, interact with uh, various features used to create end-to-end -end workflows. Beyond that, uh, the support for open source toolkits is quite extensive. Azure Machine Learning makes no assumptions in terms of the environments or the underlying APIs that users want to leverage. So uh, very broad support for, uh, I think, the most popular data science uh, tools like PyTorch, TensorFlow, Scikit-Learn, um, virtually any open source Python package one can use to do machine learning, uh, Azure Machine Learning can, can support. And then, of course, as I mentioned, the underlying infrastructure being able to, able to provide uh, both CPU compute and GPU compute, as well as very highly specialized FPGA compute. So point being is that the stack that the service provides has essentially every tool one needs to craft uh, deeply customized workflows. So in terms of what those tools actually are, really it's the end-to-end -end suite of uh, features that one needs to craft a machine learning pipeline. So when we think about what an ML pipeline needs to entail, uh, we think about things like a model repository, right? So things like saving off trained models for reuse. We think about uh, customized dev environments. So in this case, Docker environments. We think about pulling in data stores and uh, data sets, uh, basically the end-to-end -end stack one needs to, uh, to craft these kinds of workflows. Azure Machine Learning provides uh, effectively the all-inclusive suite from labeling to training to deployment. We think about this as kind of a, a toolbox, right? So as users kind of think about what they want to do with their end-to-end -end workflows, they have the option to kind of pick and choose which of these features they care about the most. So in no way does the service kind of impose or force users to use all of these, right? But if uh, you, for example, have a need for a model repository, then you can just use the repo. If you have the need for just uh, managing your endpoints, then you can just use the endpoints. So really a, a, an extensive and flexible toolbox of, of features. Now kind of double clicking into uh, what the underlying system architecture looks like. Azure Machine Learning is essentially just uh, an interface, right? It's an interface into the various assets one needs to craft these workflows. Users interact with, for example, the workspace or the SDK, and they get access to uh, the various artifacts one needs. So jobs, pipelines, data sets, et cetera. Um, one of the most powerful things about this tool, its ability to manage things like training and evaluation cycles. Right. So when I use this tool to craft an end to end workflow, um, obviously I want to pull in models. I want to actually do development and training. Um, and I have a lot of flexibility in how I do that. So our compute targets are quite extensive. Everything from uh, simple VMs to things like Spark enabled Databricks or Synapse. The ability to use uh, high powered compute to do my training is, is quite 
um, extensive. Beyond that, so the integration with the rest of the Azure ecosystem is also there. So if I have large amounts of data in like a, a data lake, for example, uh, my pipeline can plug directly into that storage and pull my data in. So if I have Parquet or JSON, it doesn't really matter, right? Uh, it just kind of depends on the end-to-end the -end workflow. And then of course, uh, the ability to deploy this all very securely, depending on what your existing network infrastructure looks like. Um, the Azure machine learning ecosystem can be deployed um, as a, a private service. So uh, for doing things like sensitive model training, that's all, all fair game. So this is the, uh, now kind of uh, double clicking even more into what we actually use this for. Uh, the core value prop here is machine learning operations, right? So using all of these tools in this service to develop uh, production grade MLOps workflows. So the point of this here is that uh, there is no real one size fits all workflow for MLOps, right? What one might use on, on one team might differ from other teams. Um, it just kind of fundamentally depends on uh, the nature of the development being done, right? So in terms of what MLOps is at a, a fundamental level, um, it's essentially just a, a way to push models to production um, at, at scale. So doing things like continuous training, continuous evaluation and monitoring, very similar to uh, a DevOps process, right? MLOps is essentially CI/CD for machine learning. And there are obviously some uh, overlaps, right, between what we might consider a, a DevOps process, um, things like reproducibility, um, evaluation, and, and deployment. What's very unique about MLOps, however, is the ability to do things like triggered retraining. In a software system, you have your CI/CD pipelines uh, for your, I guess, production grade code delivery, right? Once you push code to prod, that's not really it, right? Because you want to be able to monitor. That monitoring in MLOps uh, serves a very specific purpose, and that purpose is to understand when models go stale. Data that we collect today is fundamentally different from data that we collected like last year, right? So as our data sets and our um, inferencing environments evolve, we want to understand when our model has to evolve with it. And the MLOps workflows that we can craft using these cloud services are intended to help us understand uh, when those retraining cycles need to happen. As I mentioned, uh, there is no one size fits all but there are very common building blocks one needs to incorporate uh, to really craft an MLOps workflow. And those building blocks uh, effectively include these five components, right? Training, uh, persistence, validation, deployment, and monitoring. An enterprise MLOps workflow typically incorporates uh, effectively all of these. And what we'll see in Azure Machine Learning is that we have the ability to essentially uh, handle each of these components uh, using the features of, of that service. So as I push a model out to be persisted, um, I have the ability to pull it back in for evaluation. I have my managed endpoints, and then I have the ability to, as I make inference calls, uh, monitor results and other uh, broader statistics. Now, uh, the Microsoft paradigm for doing MLOps is, I think, by nature, of course, very opinionated, right? Um, even though there is no one size fits all, uh, it's okay to have an opinion. And Microsoft uh, production grade MLOps usually thinks about these workflows as a series of loops, right? So as we think about uh, kind of starting an ML project, 
and kind of a look, looking ahead to what a production system might look like, we think about the dev cycle as in fact a cycle, right? So always starting with a proof of concept or an initial experimentation, uh, we have to understand what our uh, underlying goal is, what our data looks like, and what our model, I guess our baseline models might need to look like, right? So that's called the inner loop, right? So as we kind of uh, prototype and develop MVPs, uh, we understand what might work for um, our, our data sets. Once we understand what uh, a good MVP model looks like, uh, we can advance to the uh, second cycle, which is the uh, actual training loop. So obviously, uh, we're not going to POC over necessarily terabytes and terabytes of data, right? I think uh, it's a matter of uh, efficiency, right? So we don't want to necessarily um, exhaust our dev time and our training resources until we first understand what a, a good and viable um, modeling strategy looks like, right? But once we have that understanding, we can advance it to the scaled loop. And that's where the, the true power of the cloud kind of comes in. Azure Machine Learning obviously provides the ability to do um, clustered training, right? So once I understand what a good model might look like, um, I can actually prove out that uh, hypothesis at scale. And that is the center loop. Once I have a truly scaled model training cycle completed, and I understand that it is uh, well validated and it is going to be viable in a production environment, I can advance it to the outer loop, which is in fact the production cycle. Uh, once I deploy an endpoint that I've trained, um, that loop uh, effectively continues until I need to revert back and do things like retraining. So the uh, Microsoft MLOps uh, paradigm is essentially these uh, three loops. And what's I think most important about this concept is that we provide these kinds of uh, uh, tools basically free of charge, right? These are essentially accelerators. So users who want to, for example, uh, adopt this kind of a MLOps paradigm, uh, Microsoft provides all the tools one needs to do this via GitHub. So anyone can go and, I guess, pull down the scripts to deploy these uh, types of cycles. So in terms of what MLOps actually is from a Microsoft perspective, this is basically it. In terms of how to um, actually realize the implementation of these kinds of workflows, um, the core component of an Azure machine learning um, design is a pipeline. So if we think about each of those cycles as a pipeline, um, Azure Machine Learning provides the building blocks for us to actually craft those end-to-end -end designs. So in the Azure Machine Learning world, a pipeline is essentially just a series of underlying components, right? So very similar to what one might find in like a, a microservice design, right? Um, a pipeline is basically just a, a sequence of scripts. They could be Python, they could be R, they could be effectively uh, whatever language our SDK support. Um, and we can craft these end-to-end -end designs as very modular components. And what's I think most important here is that these can be effectively as modular as one wants. An obvious design might be to decouple things like dataset prep and exploratory analysis and training as their own individualized uh, components, but users have enough flexibility to kind of define what their uh, granular components look like. So lots of uh, customization is possible here. In terms of what uh, the pipelines look like from an architectural standpoint, 
Um, it's essentially this end to end flow, right? Users create drafts of pipelines, they submit them for runs. Um, Azure Machine Learning executes the pipelines in sequence. Now, AML, when it actually executes these end-to-end uh, -end workflows, uh, they keep track of things like metrics and failed states and logs. So at a component level, um, Azure Machine Learning records um, effectively all of that and using the artifacts that one wants to persist. So for example, if I have a pipeline that does exploratory analysis and I want to use things like matplotlib or uh, seaborn and save off things like um, images or PNGs, um, AML will, will actually persist all of that for us. So a lot of granular control over how I actually capture metrics and insight from my end-to-end -end pipelines. And we'll take a look here momentarily at what a, a, a Llama 2 pipeline might, might look like. The other major component here is, of course, the management of my models. Um, Azure Machine Learning does include an out-of-the-box model re repository. So as I train my artifacts, I, of course, want to persist them for future use. So if you think back to the, um, the three loops, right? As I advance my project to the next uh, logical loop, I need to actually persist my, my artifacts. And AML does provide an out-of-the-box means to do that. And what I think is uh, quite interesting about this is that the way users interface with these tools is actually through open source means. Those of you who are familiar with things like Azure Databricks or Databricks in general, you might be familiar with MLflow. Um, MLflow is essentially the de facto open source tool for doing MLOps. So it's an API um, that actually links back up to an underlying infrastructure and gives users enough uh, control over their workflows to do things programmatically. So users who write their code in VS Code or Jupyter or Vim on the command line, right? If they use MLflow, they can link back up directly using the MLflow API to Azure Machine Learning. Those of you who work in like Databricks, your MLflow code can link up to Azure Machine Learning with virtually no changes to your, your code base. Um, so all of these tools uh, can be uh, handled programmatically. Now, in terms of what the uh, reference architecture looks like, uh, we have a few, but this is essentially the official Microsoft reference architecture pattern for doing natural language processing. It's going to look very similar to what you might see in a generative AI design, right? But uh, essentially, this design handles each of the loops that we talked about. So the inner loop to do uh, the POC and MVP, the advancement to the outer loop, which is the staging, test, and production. And we have enough flexibility as we kind of push models to the next stage uh, to incorporate things like um, CI CD actions. So, for example, if you wanted to uh, incorporate GitHub actions to kind of automatically advance things, uh, we, ha we have some uh, out of the box GitHub actions that one can use to understand when an Azure machine learning resource needs to advance a project. The point being with this design is that it, it is effectively a production-ready workflow. And then, of course, being able to incorporate the rest of the Azure ecosystem as uh, data input. The main value prop, I think, of doing machine learning operations in Azure Machine Learning is both uh, the ability to, I guess, leverage the true open source tools alongside the cloud-native tools, right? So a lot of granular um, flexibility for users. Um, this workflow you see here is uh, effectively what gets deployed with the out-of-the-box accelerators on, on GitHub. 
we'll pivot now to actually see what a out-of-the-box workflow might look like for training a Llama 2 model. AML is a PaaS service, right? So when you provision a PaaS service in Azure and you open it, uh, this is effectively what you would be greeted with. And this is effectively the UI that users can use to interact with each of these uh, various components. So the pipelines, the, the jobs, the, the data and the models, um, users can use this interface to effectively interact with all of them. As I mentioned, uh, users by no means have to use this, right? Because this can all be uh, interacted with via the SDKs. But for those of you who do like GUIs, this is a nice view. What you'll probably notice right away is here in the center of the screen, the generative AI models. Well, obviously, Azure OpenAI is the production grade LLM service we have. We also acknowledge, right, that there are tons and tons of open source models that don't deserve to be excluded from end-to-end -end workflows, right? So Azure Machine Learning uh, actually provides a direct integration with uh, some of the most common out-of-the-box open source models. So under the, mo the uh, model catalog here, we see what the integrations might, might look like. So things like pulling in hugging face models to do translation, we have integration with Llama and DaVinci, Databricks, Dolly, all of these models are provided free of charge and out of the box, um, at least the open source ones are. At first glance, uh, hopefully it's obvious that this is a quite an extensive uh, list of models. Uh, and also it covers a pretty extensive list of tasks. Uh, most of them are, of course, NLP based, uh, but models are being added uh, on a pretty regular basis. So um, as time goes on, uh, additional tasks will be support as well. We think about these models as what we call foundation models. Those of you who have been tracking the evolution of LLMs for a while, you'll know that, of course, uh, the transformer is kind of the, the grandfather of them all. The first true foundation model was a model called BERT, right? Effectively an LLM that uh, can be applied to downstream tasks. BERT is, of course, available here as well, but Essentially, what we do with these models in this catalog is use them as foundation models to apply to downstream tasks. So if I wanted to pull in uh, Llama 2 and apply it to things like classification or uh, generation or effectively chat tasks, I, I can't. And we'll see what that looks like here right now. At first glance, we have uh, Llama 2 7 billion, 13 billion, and I believe 70, 70 billion. So a few different types of Llama 2 models. We're going to focus specifically on the Llama 2 13B, so mid-size. Um, now, the uh, interface here provides essentially a clickable interface to evaluate and fine-tune. Uh, we'll look at this from a programmatic standpoint here in a minute, but uh, the model itself is very extensively documented. It comes prepackaged with a a license that you can all read at your own leisure. But essentially, this model is just the open source variation of Llama 2. As in, if I wanted to interact with the underlying artifacts, I, I can't. So this will take a second to load. So the actual uh, model weights, the biases, the actual code to pull in a, a Llama 2 model, it's all right here. So users have access to the actual data needed to reconstruct this model programmatically. Now, in terms of how to actually use this, uh, 
couple of ways we can do it. We can do it via the SDK, or we can do it via the end-to-end -end pipelines. So I mentioned earlier that Azure Machine Learning treats these workflows as pipelines. Llama 2 can be incorporated directly into uh, an end-to-end -end pipeline. So hopping over to my pipeline view, uh, you'll see here I have a bunch of them, but what we care about are the Llama 2 13B fine-tune and the Llama 2 13B evaluation. Um, this interface is effectively a canvas view where I can see my various components um, in their pipeline form. Opening up the end-to-end -end pipeline here, fairly simple at a high view, right? We essentially pull in our pre-trained model. We pull in the data that we want to fine-tune. We apply a classification uh, fine-tuning task, and we export the trained model. So a fairly simple end-to-end -end workflow. And to be quite frank, most of these end-to-end -end workflows can be decomposed as this simple. But when we double-click into what the actual tasks of the pipeline fine-tuning looks like, um, it gets uh, significantly more complicated. Not going to go over necessarily all of this, but to kind of prove the point that these uh, workflows can become quite convoluted. Um, this is, uh, of course, significantly more uh, involved than the high-level view we saw before. But each of these boxes we see on the screen is backed by code. So Python scripts to uh, essentially complete various tasks. So as users pull in models to do these kinds of workflows, they write scripts. They compose those scripts into pipelines, and those pipelines are executed via uh, essentially this kind of workflow. So to do a, a Llama 2 fine-tuning, um, essentially pulling in the model, applying the series of, of steps, and then uh, computing the, the output, which are, of course, the underlying fine-tuned model artifacts. So I'm not going to run this in real time because the Llama 2 13B is uh, very large and it will take uh, a long time, right? But I will uh, proceed on to show you what the evaluation step looks like uh, once I complete my, my fine-tuning. So the foundation models as I kind of apply them to my, my own types of data sets. Um, the two steps are, of course, fine-tune and train, and then evaluate to make sure that uh, my model is uh, well-performing. The evaluation step uh, is going to look very, very similar. Uh, still pulling in the 13B model, um, opening up the evaluation uh, sub-pipeline. It'll take a second to load. Uh, not quite as involved, but uh, we can still see uh, we do very granular tasks here. Predict over my data, compute my metrics, and then sync my results. Essentially, the, uh, the way to pull in and train foundation models for my own tasks on my own data is to use uh, pipelines like, like this. Once I actually train and evaluate a, a pipeline um, or a model via a pipeline, uh, the next logical step is, of course, to deploy. Azure Machine Learning does provide enough tools for users to manage their deployments. So we can see here under my, my endpoints, I do in fact have a few of them, one of which will be a Llama 2 endpoint. So here is my Llama 2 fine-tune chat. Uh, if I were to open this, I can see um, essentially this is the API I can use to interact with my fine-tune model. It provides a REST API, it provides an out-of-the-box Swagger URI, uh, basically everything we might expect for um, a production-grade API to interact with. Now, just to kind of illustrate what this might look like, I have some sample input. We will go ahead and do a test inference call. Um, 
So Llama 2 deployments, my API, kind of paste in the JSON body I care about. In this case, I want a response here. I'm going to Paris. What should I see? I kind of seed the model with a block of text here, kind of give it enough context to answer my question. Um, I click test and it should return a uh, response to, to my question, what I should see in, in Paris. So you see here, this is a pretty reasonable response. So my Llama 2 model does seem to be working uh, reasonably well. So hopefully it's apparent to see that as I pull in these models to kind of train them on my own specific data, uh, the, I guess the ability to ask it more specific questions uh, kind of expands, right? So because they're open source, um, I have a lot of flexibility with, with what I can actually do with these models. So that's basically as easy as it is to pull in a Llama 2 model in Azure Machine Learning. Um, and all, all of the models in this catalog are, uh, I think, just as easy. They have certain underlying infrastructure requirements like GPUs or CPUs, but um, in terms of the actual workflow to interact with the models, um, that's as simple as it is. Now, it gets a bit more complicated when we talk about how to do it programmatically. Uh, I mentioned that the SDK, the Python SDK, is uh, I think the most flexible way to interact with this tool. Um, and I can do basically all of this programmatically as well. I'm not gonna walk through the code here, but uh, just to kind of show you, we do have an extensive series of example notebooks that I think walk through um, how to do this programmatically. Um, so in this case, um, I have my summarization notebook, essentially walks through exactly what I just showed you. Um, how to pull in Llama 2 and uh, fine tune, evaluate, and deploy um, all in Python. So these are all available via GitHub as well for those of you who uh, are interested in doing this programmatically. This is effectively uh, what we have for end to end uh, MLOps workflows using large language models. Hopefully, it is, a, it is apparent that the support for these kinds of models is, is quite extensive. Um, and even beyond just LLMs, uh, Essentially, users can use these kinds of workflows and tools to build out their own deeply customized workflows using their own models. Um, the open source support is, is extensive, but I'll pause there for any questions. This is about all I have. John, I appreciate you taking the time to <clears throat> not just walk through a uh, one example. I mean, you walk through in the end uh, how to get it done and the tools that are available there. Um, we did have one question. Um, Sekar, do you want to do you want to come off mute? And uh, and ask your question to John. Yeah, sure. This is uh, Sheikh Atmakri from GDLS. Um, in terms of uh, with respect to fine tuning uh, a Llama two model, uh, what what type of effort is involved in that? And how do you need to? What kind of uh, preparation? Uh, how do you need to present the data uh, for fine tuning? And then, what kind of cost would we be looking at uh, for fine tuning a model? Yeah. So the the data prep is uh, it can be as I guess simple or complex as you can make it. The the Llama 2 model in particular takes in uh, JSON formatted data, right? So essentially you just need your, your targets and your, and your uh, I guess your X and your Y, right? Um, as a, a JSON file. In terms of the, the cost associated with fine tuning, um, every cost associated with Azure Machine Learning in general is dependent on the underlying compute cluster that you use. So Llama 2, for example, requires a GPU compute. Um, and that bills per hour. So if your Llama 2 model trains for like 
I guess, six or seven hours, right? You will incur that much cost. So the actual cost numbers associated with the EM SKU, right? So it just kind of depends. I think the example I showed here was on a fairly mid-sized GPU, which was like $6 per hour, right? So depending on how much power you need, that cost will fluctuate. Okay, so the cost is only based on how long that uh, underlying compute is utilized. And that is correct, yeah. Thank you. So we have one more poll question, and do this for a couple different reasons. One, obviously the GPU credit, but also we want to hear from we want to hear from you. We want to hear uh, a little bit more about your use case, uh, a little bit more about how you know we could take a a a, a platform uh, like this to address uh, some of the challenges that you're running into. We talk to customers all the time about uh, their use case, kind of uh, scenarios that they. Um, are I was experiencing some uh, you know some insights that quite frankly they just want to be able to extract from uh, from utilizing these tools and as you can tell uh, you know 20 30 40 minutes of uh, of John outlining some scenarios and it's going to be situationally dependent uh, everybody's going to have a little bit different outcome so um, John I appreciate you um, walking through that Andrew Anything that we want to cover outside of upcoming sessions or um, the next time that people can submit questions, anything, any details that we want to share at this time? Uh, no, I think uh, just to kind of your point for, you know, follow up in future sessions, you know, you could reach out to Stephen and I will put our emails in the chat um, to the question kind of around costing, right? And what what is this going to take? You know, all of us, uh, Stephen, myself, and those other uh, folks we showed on that slide, we can help kind of walk through kind of initial costing and and what it'll take, right? To to for your specific use case. So, um, we're the folks that you can reach out to to have those conversations and and get a better understanding of of um, <clears throat> what's it's going to take, right? From a funding perspective. Uh, support perspective and we can have those conversations but um yeah that's all i had to keep a lookout for our next session uh that it will occur in november um there'll be invites sent out um and places to register for those um, but other than that really appreciate everyone's attendance and participation we dropped uh the emails of those folks uh into the chat so feel free to reach out to them kind of depending on what group you work with, uh, you know, supporting Navy or or Air Force. And if you're a, a contractor supporting those as well, uh, you can kind of go to those swim lanes. So thanks again, everybody. We did have one saved round. One in particular was the feedback form. You can't you can't have a, a session without asking for feedback. So we did put a link uh, in the chat. Just uh, my only ask is, is don't throw your uh, um, your keyboard uh, at John for, you know, for thoroughly going through everything there uh, and also uh, myself for saying that marines eat crayons so you know obviously if you have a friend that is a marine you know that's quasi true so uh now i'm teasing you a little bit so when it comes to when it comes to details when it comes to uh some of the the feedback form i'm, I'm interested in in hearing from you andrew's interested in hearing what use cases scenarios um you know we can be uh more fine-tuned to your use case we did get some feedback a little bit earlier about um you know, hosting in a specific tenant or, you know, being more MILDEP specific, you know, the objective here is to be able to uh, to try to address all of the DOD, which everybody's got a little bit of their nuance with their respective commands. Uh, so we're trying to be as uh, um, 
as inclusive as possible here. However, we're not always able to uh, to host it uh, on one over the other. So, John, um, I appreciate your time. It, it, just real quick, can I can you share one last maybe common challenge that you run into whenever folks are 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 um, um, first engaging uh, in in a particular uh, project like this where they're going to leverage the ML Studio? I think the biggest challenge that, that I see anyway is actually committing to the adoption, right? Because um, obviously when you try to adopt like an enterprise-grade workflow, it comes with certain overhead, right? Um, and oftentimes it's just easier to not. But if teams can overcome the challenge to actually adopt these kinds of workflows, I think the value prop becomes pretty apparent. Um, it just makes things easier to push to production reliably, right? So um, there's obviously a lot here in, in this tool, but uh, being able to successfully adopt these, I think, paradigms um, is uh, probably the biggest uh, challenge I see across our, our customer space. I agree with that assessment. Yeah, I agree with that assessment. I appreciate it, uh, John. So thank you very much for your time. Andrew, uh, thank you for uh, covering down here on the chat, answering uh, the question save round from last uh, from last month. Um, again, feedback form is filled here in the chat. Uh, and Bruce, it's good to see you. I've been seeing your smiling face in the icon there in the chat uh, gallery for quite some time. So, and Ethan, same to you too, buddy. So, uh, appreciate y'all taking the time. Hope y'all have a good rest of the day. So, next month, architecture design sessions. So, uh, get your popcorn ready. So, if you if you attended this one, go tell your friends. Bring them back next month. So we'll we'll uh, we'll send the link and let you know uh, when that's going to happen. So we'll talk we'll talk to y'all soon. All right. Have a good rest of the day.